Hebrews chapter 10 tonight. Hebrews 10. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the day. We thank you, Lord, for the truth that you are coming again. I pray that you'd help us now as we look into your word to take serious what is said. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to consider it and apply it to our lives tonight. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, you may remember, we looked in verses 32 down through verse 37, and in doing so, we watched as the writer in addressing uh, these believers who had come out of their uh, past of law and their past of religion and works and things of that nature. He talked about what life was like when they first got saved, how they were made a gazing stock both by reproach and affliction. So it meant that they had been mocked, they had been laughed at, they had been ridiculed, some had endured tribulation. He went on to talk about how that they had had their possessions taken from them, how the, the enemy really had spoiled their good their goods, and in all of that, they rejoiced in this, they were glad about it, and yet, though that was the beginning of their Christian walk, they had now reached a place in their Christian life where it wasn't so fun anymore, it wasn't enjoyable like it had been, and so the writer was saying to them, you need to remember what it was like when you got saved, you need to remember what took place on that day, and what you need to do is you need to not cast away the confidence that you once had, you need to be patient. And you need to remember that Christ is going to come again. What was just sung about, he said in verse number 37, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. And so the writer was trying to encourage them, stay faithful, stay faithful, stay faithful. You need to stay faithful. And so last week I tried to remind us that we need to remember what it was like when we got saved, especially in those difficult days, so that that will give us the encouragement we need to stick with it and to just keep pressing on. That being said, tonight I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. I may have dealt with this at some point in the past, but I want us to think about a story that took place in my life about 25 years ago. I was a senior in high school. I was playing in my senior season of basketball, and we were involved in a tournament that we had been invited to there in Shawnee, Oklahoma. And as a result of playing in this tournament, we had made it to the championship game And we, our little Christian school, was playing against a public school for the championship of this tournament. Now, this is not the tournament where we got skunked and blown out. That was another one, okay? This is a a different story. So if you're saying, I've heard this one. No, this is a different time that we played a public school and got embarrassed. But anyways, so we're playing this public school. And again, our little Christian school, it was kind of a different environment for us. Because I don't know how else to say it, but this school was from the very, very, very rough side of town, okay? This was a part of the world that we never ventured into, and they never ventured into our world. And so it was a pretty rough uh, school. It was kind of a rough-looking group of kids that we were playing against. And it was one of those situations where our guys were beat before the game ever started, okay? We were beat by the time the warm-ups had gotten started. And so the first half, as you can imagine, didn't really go so well for us. You, understand? you ever been in a situation like that? Maybe, maybe not. But anyways, it's just one of those moments where one of those times in life you say, this is not going well because they have just intimidated us from the word go. So here we are in the locker room at halftime. Our coach is not real thrilled with us. So he's chewing on us a little bit, and yet at the same time he's trying to challenge us and he's trying to motivate us 
and he is saying things like this. Come on, guys. We can do better than this. Come on, guys. Uh, we can take this team. We can beat this team. We can do this if we'll just get this out of our head, if, if we'll just play better ball, if we'll not let them scare us, if we'll, if we'll act like we've seen the basketball court before. Th- this will be okay, and we're going to be fine. And, and as he gave this motivational talk while chewing on us a little bit, you know what the second half revealed? Most of them didn't believe it. Most of them didn't believe that we could beat them. Most of them didn't believe that we had a chance. We went out there and we played just as poorly in the second half as we'd played in the first half. We came in second. The other school came in first. We were greatly embarrassed. And it didn't matter what was said. People on our team determined this is what I'm doing for whatever reason. Now, this evening, I want us to look in verse number 38. In verse number 38, we'll come back to that thought in just a couple of moments, I hope. But in verse number 38, we read a statement that many of us are familiar with. We've heard it, I'm sure, many times. Maybe we've quoted it at different uh, moments in our life. But in verse number 38, the writer said this to the believers, his audience. He said, Now the just shall live by faith. Now the just shall live by faith. Remember what's just been written about how they're struggling in their Christian lives. They're struggling with frustration. They're struggling with discouragement. They're struggling with all these feelings and emotions because the affliction and the gazing stock that they were made uh, um, made the public example of, uh, this isn't exciting anymore. This isn't fun anymore. And so in verse 38, he said, now the just shall live by faith. Whenever he speaks of the just, well, who is he writing about or who is he Uh, mentioning with that statement. Well, he is mentioning those who have been justified or those who have been declared righteous in the sight of God. Okay? And so the writer is very clear as to who his audience is. He is writing to saved people, and he is reminding them that those who are saved, those who have been justified, those who have been made right in their relationship spiritually with God, he said they shall live by faith. Whenever he uses the word live, what is he talking about? Well, he's not just talking about the idea of breathing, but he is talking about the person going about their daily lives. Okay, so he is talking about an individual who is living from day to day to day, from week after week after week, month after month, you get the idea, year after year, the just shall live by faith. So whenever he speaks of faith, well, what is he talking about there? Well, again, I think most of us know this, but faith is a reference to one's confidence and conviction in the Word of God. Faith is a reference to one's confidence and conviction, not only of the Word of God, though, but also that God is who He has revealed Himself to be. Alright, so when a person is a person of faith, what they then believe by way of conviction is this is that the Word of God is true, what the Word of God declares is accurate, what the Word of God declares is absolutely infallible. And when a person lives by faith, they not only believe what the Word of God has to say about so many other areas of life, they believe what it has to say about God and who God is and how God wants to interact and have relationship with them in their personal spiritual lives. Okay? So if you think about this statement, he said, Now the just shall live by faith. 
So if a person is saved, if a person has been made right with God, if they've been declared righteous, justified, then here's what it's supposed to do. It is supposed to impact your daily life by way of your faith and your confidence and your conviction in the Word of God and what the Word of God has revealed of God and God's involvement in your personal life, in your personal spiritual life. Does this make sense? See, here's what the writer is trying to convey to them, and I think he would try to convey to us, and I'll say more about it in just a moment. But he's trying to say to these believers that he is writing to, hey, listen, faith is not just something you exercise on certain days of the week. Faith is not just something you decide to exercise when you are around other Christians and other believers. No, faith is something that is supposed to play into every part of your daily life. So whether or not you've assembled with the believers, you're still still supposed to be a person of faith. If you are with believers, you are still supposed to be a person of faith. It doesn't matter where you are at in your daily life. You are supposed to live with this conviction and, and this confidence that the Word of God is absolutely true and that God is everything that the Word reveals of Him, again, by way of His desire to be involved in your personal spiritual lives. Now, as that is so, I just want to throw this out here because of where the message is headed, and that is this. I want us to consider that the just are still required to live by faith. If I am saved and if you are saved, then what should be true of our daily lives is that we live with a sense of confidence and conviction that God's Word is absolutely true, that what God said, God meant, and that God, everything that's been revealed of Him, is true as it relates to us. Now, that's important for this reason. So many people have a Sunday morning-only faith. They, they exercise, so to speak, their faith on a Sunday morning, but by Monday morning you would have no idea that they're supposedly a person of faith. They're a Sunday morning faith, maybe a Sunday night faith, but throughout the week they're not a person who lives according to the truth of God's Word. They're not one who really lives with this confidence that God's Word is true. They don't really live with this confidence that God is everything that He said He is in His Word. And the writer reminds the audience, and he would remind us tonight, that if we are saved, then we should be men and women who live out our daily lives with this conviction that God's Word is true and God is who He says He is. Fairly simple, is it not? But notice what He said next. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back. If any man draw back. What does it mean to draw back? It means this, to become timid or to shrink back. It's the idea of withdrawing oneself. To become timid, to become weak, to shrink back or to withdraw oneself. Now notice he did not change his audience to whom he was writing. He said, the just shall live by faith. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's supposed to look. And this is the way it's supposed to work. The just shall live by faith. But 
If any man draw back, what is he saying? He is saying this, that a person, though they are saved, they are capable of withdrawing. They are capable of becoming weak. They are capable of becoming timid. They are capable of shrinking. They are capable of taking themselves, so to speak, out of the equation of living a life by faith. Well, question. Is that truly possible? The answer is yes. Not only did it happen, it continues to happen. There are those who are saved, or they would at least give the testimony of salvation. They would have that profession of salvation. And though they would give testimony to being saved for whatever reason, Whatever it was that happened that brought them to this point, they have drawn back, they have become timid or weak in their spiritual lives, they have shrunk away from that commitment they once had, and they have withdrawn themselves from everything they were once associated with in their spiritual lives. I'm going to say this tonight for a reason, okay? Don't take... Don't take it wrong. Don't, don't assume anything. Just, just consider this. As a pastor, and if you're a church member who observes very much at all, you realize how true this is, do you not? Amen. You realize over the course of your Christian life how many people who profess to be saved, whether or not all of them were or not, we don't know. But it is amazing if you'll consider that over the course of your Christian life, the number of people who have come and gone, and when they came and went, they did not went and go someplace else. They just came and gone and left and withdrew themselves from the things of God. A couple of weeks ago, we had some friends here from Tulsa. They were passing through, and we were just talking about church life. And one of the things they said about their church in Tulsa was this. They said, Kyle, you would not believe. In the years since you and Susie have been gone, you would not believe how many people have passed through. The number of people who have come and have joined our church and they've gotten involved in the church and they've been active in the church, and then, and then all of a sudden something happens and, and boom, they're gone. And they said of their own church, they said, and what happens is this, it's amazing. And they said it to me like I had never experienced this before. But they said, what's amazing is, is when they leave, they don't go to another church. They're just, they're just gone. They don't go to another church. They don't try to find another church to become active in. It's just like they just turn and they walk away from it and they're, and they're completely gone. And I said to them, hey, trust me, I know what you're talking about. I said, if we could just get back all the people who have quit and not gone to other churches, our church would be full to capacity every week. Amen. The writer is saying, even in the midst of this persecution, even in the midst of this tribulation, even in the midst of your discouragement, you've got to remember, the just live by faith. It's not a faith that's exercised when it's convenient. 
It's not a faith that's exercised when you're around other people exercising their faith. No, you live out this faith day by day. And yet he said there are some who will draw back or there are those who will withdraw themselves from the faith they once lived by. As he says this, there are two thoughts in this passage that I want us to consider. The first one is irrelevant in the end. The second one is not irrelevant at all. What do I mean? Well, notice in verse 38 he said, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Who is the writer writing about whenever he says, my soul? He's writing about his personal inner being. Okay, my soul, my spirit, he said, shall have no pleasure in him. What does it mean to have pleasure? It means to have delight. And so what he said is this, now the just shall live by faith. If any man draw back or withdraw from the faith that they were once so associated with, he said, here's what it does. It grieves me in my soul. It grieves me in my spirit. And it serves as no pleasure and as a real source of disappointment to me. Let me just say this. I can understand where the writer's coming from. I still find myself many times struggling with disappointment as I go through town. And I see this person who used to be a part of the church, who used to be faithful, who used to be active, who used to be involved in things, and I see them. And I know that now they don't go anywhere. They don't attend anywhere. They don't have their kids anywhere in the house of God. And they are now back into the things of the world, living for the ways of the world. There is this part of me that says, you know... That brings me no pleasure in my soul and in my spirit. That is something that brings great disappointment to me. But who cares, honestly? Because whether or not they're a disappointment to me is the least of their concerns. I mean, I don't like disappointing people. But in relation to what that could mean I'm doing in relation to God, they're not even close to the same. See, he said in verse 38, if, you know, if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But he speaks in verse 39 of those who draw back and they do so unto perdition. What does it mean to draw back under perdition? The simplest definition of the word perdition is this. They draw back unto destruction. Now think about this, please, for just a moment. Whether or not I'm disappointed with people who have flaked out over the years, that's really immaterial in the grand scheme of things. But what is not immaterial in all this is that when a person draws back or when a person withdraws from living by faith as they once did, here is what they are doing. They are not drawing back into a comfortable, safe area, but rather, the Scripture says, they have drawn back unto a place of perdition or a place of destruction. What is the writer saying? The writer is saying this very clearly, that when a person draws back, when a person withdraws themselves and becomes weak and timid and shrinks away from the faith they once exercised on a daily basis, it will bring about destruction. It will. 
And, and so I, I look at this from my perspective, which what I think in a way would be similar to the writer's perspective here, and I think so many pastors throughout the world, you watch these people and, and they withdraw themselves and they take themselves out of the equation. They do so for whatever their reasoning is, and yes, it doesn't bring pleasure, and yes, it's a source of disappointment. And as unfortunate as that is, that does not begin to compare to what they are inviting into their lives by way of spiritual perdition or spiritual destruction. Hey, Brother Kyle, don't worry about us. We're fine. That verse hasn't been written yet. I wish pastors could get together and write a book of the people who decided to draw back, who had no intentions of losing their marriage, and they lost their marriage. The number of people who decided to draw back, for whatever their reasoning was, for whatever their justification was, they're going to draw back and, hey, preacher, don't worry about us. We're going to be fine. Hey, listen, we're going to be okay. We're just going to go a different direction. They never intended to lose their children, but that is exactly what happened to them. They lost their children by way of a spiritual possession and the direction their children could have been on. Nobody ever thinks it's going to happen to them, but I promise you it happens all the time. Well, my kids aren't in jail, and my kids are good workers, and my kids, they are respectful, and, and they've got good attitudes and all that other stuff. Fine. When did your children get saved? Well, 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 well. No, no, no. When did they get saved? It's fine that you've got respectful, obedient children who make good grades and work hard. But if they spend forever in hell, friend, I think you lost out on this deal. Who cares whether or not the preacher's disappointed? If you lose your kids out of this decision, it's going to not be worth it, I can promise you. Every person who draws back loses their testimony. That's absolutely destroyed. To be the once was Christian, to be the has been Christian, to be the used to Christian, I can promise you they destroyed their reputation and their testimony. Even if their marriage didn't fall apart and even if they've got good kids in society today, I can promise you they destroyed their testimony because nobody takes serious the so-called Christian who isn't living by faith. They see fakes and phonies all the time, so one more really doesn't surprise them. Many people have destroyed their health as a result of withdrawing themselves from the things of God. It is amazing the course that a person's life can get set on when they withdraw themselves from living by faith. No one ever plans on it. No one ever calculates that into the equation. No one ever assumes it will happen to them. 
But so many times they lose their marriages, they lose their children, they lose their testimonies, they lose their health, they lose their joy, they lose their contentment. So many things are destroyed when people withdraw and draw back from the faith they once lived according to. So do you understand this? The fact that a preacher is disappointed, that receives a giant who cares in the game of life. But in relation to what we lose by drawing back, friends, it ought to be worth everything to us. So he said in verse number 38, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Those who draw back unto perdition. But notice what he said in verse number 39. But we are not of them. We are not of them who draw back unto perdition. What is he saying? He's saying this, hey, listen, we're better than that. That's not who we are. It's kind of like a coach giving that halftime pep talk chewing on you a little bit. Hey, listen, I know you got beat up in the first half. I know that the first half didn't go so well. Hey, hey, listen, I understand that there was some intimidation out there. I understand that it wasn't so much fun. I get that, but that's not who we are. Now, remember the Christians, they've been the gazing stock. They've had to endure the afflictions. They've had their goods taken from them. They were spoiled and all these other things. Now, now listen, they're struggling. You remember the context, right? They're struggling, and that's why the writer said you need to maintain your patience. You need to remember the reward that you have in heaven that will not fade away. You need to remember that Jesus Christ is coming again. And I want to remind you, he says, kind of like that coach, that that is not who we are. We're not the ones who give up, and we're not the ones who quit. We're not the ones who are going to draw back and withdraw ourselves. We're not going to become weak. We're not going to become timid. That is not who we are. He said, we're not those who draw back into perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. That's who we are. Is he suggesting that you have to then believe and keep believing and keep believing so as to save your soul? No, but what he is suggesting is this. Listen, we are not the ones who are going to draw back and quit and withdraw ourselves from the Christian life. No, we are going to be of those who believe to the preservation and to the perseverance of our soul. We're going to finish this thing out and we're going to finish strong. You get the pep talk that he's trying to give them? Because he's going to go into chapter 11, verse number 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Friends, I mean, the transition moving into chapter 11 is just astounding and amazing and wonderful. He is saying, listen, that's not us. It's not who we are. We're not going to be those quitters. We will persevere and we will live by faith because the word believe in verse number 39 is the exact same word in the Greek as it is in faith in verse number 38. We are going to exercise our faith on a daily basis until we see the reality of our salvation one day in heaven. That's a good pep talk, isn't it? 
kind of makes you wonder what the second half looked like. How many read those words and said, that's right. I'm not a quitter. That's right. I've got more to offer. They beat me up and and man, they got the best of me and they began to take advantage of me and, and I began to let them wear me down and it's been rough and it's been fight and it's been a battle. But I wonder how many of them read those words and they said, what are we doing? What are we thinking? Of course, we're not going to be like those quitters. We're going to stay faithful until the end. I wonder what the second half looked like. Because while I wonder how many of them read those words and got excited and got motivated again about their spiritual lives, I wonder how many heard or read the exact same words and they just kind of shrugged their shoulders and shook their heads and thought, no, I can't keep this up. I can't maintain this. I can't keep doing this. Whoever the writer was, I wonder how many of them thought, hey, listen, I don't mean to disappoint you. I really don't. I don't mean to disappoint you. I don't mean to grieve your soul. I don't mean to grieve your spirit. I don't, but, but I just I can't take this anymore. I wonder how many have, you know, in their mind they said, you know, I, I hear you talking about those who draw back into perdition. Hey, hey listen, I, I think we're going to be okay. I think we're going to be fine. I don't think it's going to hurt us like maybe you think it will. I wonder how many got this pep talk who read these words and said, that's right, we're better than this, we can do this, and we can stay strong, and we can continue to fight, we can continue to be men and women of faith and live it out on a daily basis. And I wonder who said, nope, I'm done. I'm done. I don't know because the Scripture doesn't tell us, but I would just say this. If averages worked back then the way they work today, there were some people who stayed faithful and there were some people who quit, and time told the story on all of them. And no doubt the writer of this letter was encouraged by some and he was disappointed by others. That in mind, this evening, I want us to think about something. As you and I go through this life, we know this. There are going to be disappointments. There are going to be challenges. There are going to be things that just knock our legs out from under us. There are going to be things that, that just hit us from the blind side that we're not expecting, that we're not ready for. It's going to take the wind out of ourselves. However you'd like to, to illustrate it, it's going to happen to us. And life is going to beat us up. Because it's kind of like that opposing team that was kind of rough. Life is rough. And it's going to beat us up. As it beats on us and as it wears on us and as it tries to defeat us, We've got to remember that we've got just two options available to us. We can either stick with it and be men and women who live by faith, or we can be the man or the woman or the young adult who says, you know what, I've had enough and I just can't take it anymore. 
I'm tired of the frustrations. I'm tired of the abuse. I'm tired of getting beat up. I'm tired of getting knocked around. I'm tired of the cost. I'm tired of, uh, of everything associated with this. I just I, I can't take it anymore. Those are our only two options. There's not a third door. Which means this. We will either live by faith or we will slowly, gradually, but ultimately destroy the things that are important to us. Do we realize this? We'll either keep on plugging away, fighting as good of a fight as we can fight, and, and, and exercising as much strength as we can exercise. We will either do that and we will persevere to the end by faith, or we will stop and everything that is important to us we will one day lose even if we don't realize we've lost it. And this evening, I'd love to stand before you and say, that's not us! But you know what the law of averages prove? It will be. That idea of perdition, that idea of falling back and withdrawing to such a point that it begins to destroy one's soul, to destroy one's life, to take away the peace, to take away the joy, to begin experiencing loss that is out there. The law of averages say that, you know what, not every one of us are going to end well like we ought to end. I want to be that coach tonight. I want to be that one giving us the pep talks, pep talks saying, that's not us. We can do better than this. We don't have to quit. We can keep fighting. We can keep, we can keep working on this. I want us to be that people, and I want to be that one who encourages us tonight. But the bottom line is this. That's a personal choice that every one of us make. So I could give you the best motivational speech tonight. I could give you the greatest shot in the arm of you can do this and it's going to be okay and you can accomplish and you can overcome and you can achieve. I could tell you everything you want to hear tonight, but at the end of the day, if you're not ready for the fight and you just want to give up, you know what you'll do? You will give up. So I just want to warn you of the consequence that if you do give up, it'll be at your own cost because it will destroy what matters in your life. For those of us who are saved, and I trust that would be the testimony of all of us, we're supposed to live by faith. Not when it's convenient. Not when it's easy. Not when we're around other believers who are putting on their facade of living by faith. No, we're supposed to live by faith tomorrow when no one else is around. And throughout this week, we're supposed to live it out, and it can be done. It can be done. It can be done. But that, too, will be a choice we have to make. We can do it. We can do it if we have the desire to do it with God's help. All right? Don't withdraw. Don't go back because you won't enjoy the consequence. 
Let's all stand at night and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help every one of us tonight to, first of all, not sit here and assume that it's impossible for us to withdraw. Lord, many men and many women who were far stronger in their spiritual lives than us got beat up so bad at some point that they just threw in the towel. They said they were done. They said they were finished. It just wasn't worth it any longer. So first of all, I pray that tonight you'd help us to realize we are capable of drawing back no matter who we think we are tonight. And Lord, if there's some in here this evening, if they'd have to be honest and admit in their heart before you that they've been struggling, that it's just it's been tougher than what they thought it would be, God, I pray that tonight you'd help them to realize they can persevere by faith to the end. And God, would you help us tonight to be reminded, not a threat, just a simple statement of truth, that if they choose to withdraw, there will be a consequence associated with it, one that is far greater than what they would expect. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts tonight. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.